All right, Matt, we're here, episode 12. It's about three months in. Um, I think we're getting more popular, and we must be because we've got a, a special guest today, one of your friends and athletes. We do. Um, 12 weeks is a long time, and I keep saying this every week because I'm surprised that um, we stick to it every single week. It's pretty good. And uh, yeah, so today we'll talk with Seamus Powell, enduro racer, phenom, ex fat kid. Um, oh, really? Oh, that should yeah, be interesting. Yeah, yeah, he was fat. He was fat. Um, <laughs> maybe we could show some photos, but um, yes, and the, but then he came around, and you know, um, so we'll. You know, we'll have to get the scoop on that. Yeah, so um, that's not like his current job is promoting how he was once fat and now lost weight and has a like weight loss book, no, social media no. page, but life he coach. He could. Um, you know, it's I love when he sends over like fat kid photos. Um, so like <laughs> I'm always asking him, oh, do you have any more fat kid photos? Like, you know, because, well, we'll get into the story later, but I remember when he was fat because... He was a few years younger than me, and he, I would lap him during our cross-country races because he'd be, like, walking up every hill. But, um, <laughs> yeah, then he came around, you know, and uh, been unstoppable since. But um, how was your weekend? Um, yeah, well, it was great. Like, I had the finally had the Rotorua Marathon. Um, and, yeah, like, it went okay. Um, I think looking back, like, that's something we need to touch on is monitoring training. Um because I just didn't get my timing right and I was a little bit overdone, I guess. Like, I didn't recover in time, despite having, like, what I considered the perfect build-up. I thought it was going to go amazingly, and um, it just, it just didn't. didn't. And so, so I, shared I shared the video, the video like, that like I did in the, 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 members the members group, group so the so Performance Advantage, advantage like, like, online training, training hub, where I have all my training, training plans, plans and everything available, available um, to, the to the members. Yeah, I went yeah, over that, and so I won't touch on it too much here, but... Yeah, yeah, it was it was, it was really, really interesting to look back at the data, at the data and show, and show that, that like, like everything, everything was going, was going well, well. I just physically wasn't, wasn't on that day, day. Mm. Um, which was which kind of crazy. crazy. Like I, I guess, I guess I've, I've never, never really, really had, had that. Um, I've always sort, sort of either like, like mentally cracked or have gone out too hard. So I mean, looking at it because of how I was actually feeling, it did end up being too hard at the start, but. Yeah, yeah, it was it was, it was a great, great weekend, weekend though. Like, like with, with the, the, the we, we still won, won the um, uh, Lake, Lake City, City Athletics Rotor Athletics Club. We won the overall men's, women's men's half and women's half teams race. So that's the three fastest times combined. Um, so it was pretty cool. Uh, I mean, you're still eighth overall. Yeah, like still eighth overall, two forty one on a on a very very challenging course, and we had a pretty tough day. Um, so yeah, so, like, yeah it like it didn't it didn't go hor- horribly, but you know when you when you really put your neck out there and put the work in to to do like your best and it doesn't come off, it it does hurt. Yeah, stings a little bit. Yeah, I um you know I was looking forward to the gram updates for during the race, which I didn't see. You know, on the story, I was a bit disappointed. So I texted you and said, "How did it go?" And all you said was rough with a period at the end of it. So like, oh. Okay, I'll okay, wait and talk I'll to him another day. Another day. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I, think, I think I know, I know kind of from experience that, experience you know, that, you know, with athletes, with athletes like, especially when it's especially a big event, big event, and maybe, and it maybe it does, not everything goes according, goes according to plan, to plan. Just, give them just give them some time to let it settle in and think about it, and then you can talk to them about it. Yeah, like the next day was, 
was definitely a lot better. Like, I was really upset afterwards. You know, you guys both have been in a situation where you've put in, like, countless hours of work, and then for some reason... Like, like it still, still might go, go and in, in, in a lot of people's eyes, eyes like the outside, outside looking in it's like, like I don't know, I don't what, know he's what he's complaining about, about. still, still looks, looks amazing to me, to me. Um, but you're like you, you know, know how you felt on the day and it's just, just um, um, it was pretty, pretty disappointing, disappointing. Uh, uh, but then I got over it and now on to the next one Hawks Bay Marathon not this weekend next weekend about 10 days so I've got to try and recover for that there you go yeah put the feet up eat some ice cream and Maybe go to Texas, go to chicken, Texas chicken, get some fried Tim chicken. Tams. Yeah, Tim Tams. Tim Tams, bro. I've been, been indulging in some Tim Tams. Tams. Seamus, you won't know what those are, but I'll get Matt to bring some over for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll deliver some uh, Tim Tams to the, the USA when I go. Um, well, get, I guess... Um, get the caramel ones. Okay, you actually have Tim Tams. You're showing us Tim Tams right now. Okay. Yeah. I don't like, act, I don't like Tim Tams. Too sweet. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd rather have like some fried chicken, honestly, as a snack. But um, anyway, like, um, well, I had a race this weekend as well, and um, you know, as you know, I just I'm kind of more of a weekend warrior kind of guy. Um, I'd ride every day, but um, <laughs> I would consider. I would, and you don't have a full time job, um, and yeah. part of your business is riding mountain bikes. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So you're a weekend warrior. Yeah. I'd, um, but you know, like, so I just, when I do a race, I'm like, yeah, let, I'll just go hard and just, I don't, it doesn't worry me anymore. Kind of how it goes. Um, yeah. and, uh, I, you know, I have a power meter, so I just, I'm always like, okay, how was today? Yeah. Power is better. Sweet. So yeah, I had a pretty good race this weekend. Um, paced it pretty well. Absolutely dead last into the single track. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I had a pretty good race. So I was pretty happy. First, you. you were first female. Uh, I guess you could say that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Normally that's not the case though, is it? No, 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 no. There's some fast girls that are, um, at the local series top in the Australasia kind of thing. So yeah. Yeah. It's good reference point though. Good benchmark. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just look at my power meter, you know? So like, <laughs> oh, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, right. how's my power? Right. Yeah. Sweet. Well, that was one of the first things you said to me. Power was good. Oh yeah. No, was that you? You beat that girl. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Well, we should get into it then. All right. Not leave Seamus just sitting there listening to our conversation. Yeah. I mean, um. Well, like, uh, okay. So if we asked a New Zealander to give give an introduction of themselves, be like, yeah, my name's Will, and I run. And it would be like pretty bad. But if we ask an American to do an introduction yep. on themselves, I think it would be pretty good. You know, because oh, we're, really? we're much okay. better at talking about ourselves. Oh, all right. Well, Seamus, please introduce yourself to the people who would have no idea who you are. All right. Well, here I am. I'm uh, Seamus Powell, and I, uh, and I raise mountain bikes. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, I guess I'm a little bit more than that. I, uh, yeah, I just I race mountain bikes. I, uh, I'm a licensed massage therapist. I'm actually sitting in the spa right now because I don't have Wi-Fi at home. So, or very good Wi-Fi to be able to do this and chat with everybody. Um, yeah, I've been racing professionally since 2008. So, we're coming into, uh, what would that be, like my 
ninth year, eleventh year. I don't know. There's a lot of years of racing. Math's <laughs> <laughs> not my strong Ma- massage suit. Massage therapist, not meth medicine therapist. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So that's eleven I don't know. years. What else? Would this be your twelfth year? So you did eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Matt's counting on his fingers. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually on my ride today counting, and I was like, I'll forget how many years it was. It's a yeah, lot of well, years. I think this conversation on how long it's been for an eight to a to a nine is is uh, it's taking yeah. a bit long. Yeah. <laughs> for yeah. three people. Well, but yeah, but you also need to include the year that you're in when you're doing years. Yeah. So that 2008, and now we're now in 2019. Yeah, at 11 years. Twelfth year. You're in your twelfth year. Okay. Yeah. Twelfth yeah. year. Depends how the seasons are structured, though. You know, because you're, yeah, you're throwing me off. I'm, okay. I don't know. I've just been doing it a long time. And actually, I've been racing a bicycle <laughs> since 1999. So we're entering my 20th year of racing bikes. Second millennia. 21st. Yep. Um, 21st year I, of racing I bikes. I think that's, <laughs> that's not a bad um, introduction. Um, but let, let me go a bit further. Um, and yeah, say, take it away. Um, so Seamus, is a, he's a five-time national champ. And like I said, he, he did come from uh, like you know, being a fat kid and uh, to winning My mom said I was husky. In, do, you, I was husky. do you call them fat in America or do you just call them kids? No. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> like, and, you're, and everyone's like, wow, you used to be a really skinny kid. That's embarrassing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it goes. I mean, you wouldn't, it's not very PC to call a kid fat. So you'd wait and talk about it once they're over 18. And then you'd oh, be like, yeah. oh, you were fat. Yeah. yeah. Now you're obese. <laughs> my, my mom said I was husky. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah. Well, huskies are fucking rad, dude. They never Are get they? Okay. We don't have um, predators here. so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not allowed to. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we only just let Matt in the country. So, I know, uh, yeah. That's well, they, they, they tried kicking him out, but he's there still, so. I'm now. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah, just got to start yeah. making babies, and then you're sorted. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, okay, so back to five-time national champ. Um, what else? Okay. Well, I, well, me. Matt? Who's talking? <laughs> I think okay, like, so what's what's the sport like? To talk us through it. Yeah, can you just like give us like a history? Like you've been racing like in your twelfth twelfth season. Can you just kind of like start from the beginning and tell us like how you got your start and then like talk us through how you moved through the ranks? Because um, enduro has only been around for um, a couple of years as a professional sport um, and as a like a national championship sport. So obviously you didn't start there. You got your start very differently. So tell us in your words how you got the start. Well, like any kid, you know, I was an outdoors person. I grew up in a family. We we rode bikes and did all all the stuff. Did a bit of rock climbing and hiking and fishing and hunting and stuff. And then uh, parents brought me to a BMX track. And then, you know, my brother was already racing mountain bikes at that point and um kind of always grown up on a bike i started race riding a bike when i was i think three years old um a two-wheeler at that and then you know it just it was a my source of adventure like i was able to be mobile and ride around and chase my brother 
and uh you know then got linked in with a local shop um when i was like 13 or 14 and uh they were doing all the all the local race series and matt you're a member of the masters of the mountains and uh you know started as a beginner just like i had no fitness but i could ride i had skills enough to ride a mountain bike I did a lot of walking the first year. <laughs> I think my, my, I just posted a picture of Mount Snow from 2004 or five. It might've been like my first Norba national. And, uh, I got fifth at that race in the beginner it was, I don't know. It was like the 15, 18 category. I was, I was, I think 14 at that point. So my racing age was 15. And, uh, I remember just somebody was asking about it the other day and I was like, yeah, I did a lot of walking, but I got, I still got a podium. And that was like really the kind of the start. And then, um, American podium. Just, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, like everybody's a winner. Five. Yeah, top five. <laughs> <laughs> I ate a lot of cookies that night. It was so sick. And I was like, I can buy it and I can eat a lot. And then like, this is fun. And then, uh, you know, by 2000, end of 2006, so we're, we're jumping a bunch of years after like, you know, going from beginner to sport and then getting a lot of, getting successful and like getting podiums and results and then really just, going and being around to a, a, a lot of like idols, I guess idols or mentors that were fast racers, Justin Lindeen, um, and a few other people. And they really kind of took me under their wing at races. And one thing led, led to another. I just, I started going on more group rides and road rides. And then I just got the bug and I was like, I want to be whatever. I just want to see how far it's going to take me. I like, I like pushing myself. And then it, uh, it manifests itself into this, point where then I ended up being going to national races and winning or not national races, but just regional, big regional races as a junior expert, pretty young junior expert at that, like 16 years old winning races. And by 2007, I was racing as a junior expert and there may not have been enough junior experts to race in my own category. So I would start with the pro men and I was basically podium, get like one, two, or like top five or top three in, in pro men. And by 2007, I was nearly qualifying for world championships for the national team. If I hadn't broke my chain at the one qualifier, I probably would have made the, the 2007 world championship team as a junior to go to Scotland. And then that all fell apart. But then in 2008, I hired a coach proper because before then I was just riding my balls off and didn't, didn't have any guidance. And then by 2008, I made it my goal hired a coach and then I was able to go to world championships and um you know that 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 was like kind of really the start of it where I really wanted to be a professional athlete where I was at the top rank as a junior and that year I was on the podium for national championships as a junior at Mount Snow it was uh the last national that they had at Mount Snow it was 2008 and then progressed to being under 23 and then pushed a bit too hard for a bunch of years <laughs> and I think Matt knows that because by that point we ended up I think we're nearly teammates on Giant Mid-Atlantic I don't know if you if you remember that and I think Matt remembers a lot of years where I was hot and cold I'd have really really fantastic races and I'd be on point for regional stuff and I'd show up to national races and get fucking shot out the back I'd be yeah. I'd be getting lapped and then I got to a point and uh 2012 where i literally i was just finishing my massage therapy degree and i was super busy with school 
and I didn't want to ride my bike anymore. So I was doing a lot of running and a lot of soul searching, I guess not really soul searching, but I was just doing a lot of not riding a bike and not knowing whether I wanted to race my bike the next year or not. And that's where Matt came in and was like, Hey, I know this master's student cause he was still at, down in Pennsylvania finishing his master's degree. Do you, <laughs> you know, do you want me to coach you? And I was like, all right, cool. And then, uh, I was like, well, let's just see where it goes and uh, kind of picked apart um, a bunch of races and things that were fun for me in 2013 because I had no pressure. Um, National Championships was back on the East Coast in Pennsylvania, a Bear Creek, Pennsylvania, and that was where Matt and I did a lot of racing and riding. Um, and it was it was a train that I knew and um, I was still semi-invested in the cross-country racing, but that year um eastern states cup uh the downhill series in, in our in the northeast and the east coast of uh, north america uh just uh started to come out with um they were going to have a whole super d and enduro series and that was something i had already seen and thought it would be really cool to do and uh so i kind of just split my split my season where i was like i'm training really hard for national championships and i'm going to race it on a single speed because single speed was new and it was fun. I didn't have to think about shifting. I just have to go really hard. <laughs> and I didn't have money to build two bikes. <laughs> and then I built I built a Super D like enduro bike, which was I if I looking at that bike now is like I don't I don't know how we did what we did on it, but um I made it happen. And uh had a really really good year. Um was winning um cross-country races, pro cross-country races against gear guys on a single speed. And that would be one weekend. And then the next weekend, <laughs> I was winning Super D races. And then like the next weekend, I was winning Enduro races. So I don't know, I found a really good balance with um, fitness and skill and something that was new, fun and exciting, even though that I was like super green at it. And everybody was that was at those races, but I was just better than everybody else was so I found a lot of really good success and something that I could build on and uh, w uh, went to national championships and uh, won the single speed race cross-country race so that was my first title and then the next day won the super D race and that was the elite super D national championship against a bunch of really fast guys and stuff. And that was what got me some recognition with the giant factory team. And I started to get more support with those guys and kind of just snowballed from there. And just every year progressed itself to being where I am now. So I don't know what else. Yeah. So then how were you Sweet. before that and within that? Um, so that transitional period, like how were you supporting yourself and your racing? Like I, so like Matt was, you started the team, right, Matt? Giant Mid-Atlantic. Yep, myself and one of my teammates. Yeah, we started that team in like um, 2010 with the support from uh, like a regional rep. Um, then we got some support from the company. Yeah. Yeah. So that was going to, that was providing you guys with like some kit and stuff. Yeah, uh, like we started out like by the time Seamus came on board maybe that was like maybe that was 2011 the second year of the team um, I can't remember it might have even been the first year of the team but yeah we were getting our bikes taken care of some group sets and uh, some clothing 
and then yeah. you know all the the little gear that we had but at the level Seamus was racing at like he would come to all the races and pretty much you know the regional races XC everything uh, he would pretty much you know just win um, and you know that was like so he was pretty much the man on the XC scene um, on the East Coast and then but then he, he would go to the nationals and he didn't like yeah you, you had a couple good ones eh? yeah um i don't know what was my best under 23 national championship i might have gotten a seventh place i think yeah. i got a seventh place i was always in i was close but never never close enough it was also like if we were racing on the east coast god i for sure probably would have gotten at least the one podium as under 20 23 cross-country racer but we're always at altitude um all right yeah we're racing at altitude out west and so i would just show up a couple days before the race and just try to fight fight the uh fight the altitude and i always i honestly always felt like i did pretty well um i'm not a small well, you're guy six foot four i'm not <laughs> a small guy and uh i was i would still do all right like i would still hang with the dudes um and i, I mean the little guys like the guys that are like howard Grotz and keegan swenson they're all like Five ten and one hundred and forty pounds. Not even. I don't even know what the fuck they weigh. But I'm six four, and when I was racing cross country, I was one hundred and eighty two pounds. I'm one hundred and ninety eight right now. So that just puts that in the pers- man. Yeah. What's puts- that, Matt? And like a, a like metric measurement? Uh, like in a standard measurement, um, that would be like ninety two, ninety four kgs. Something yeah. Like yeah. I think, um, you know, Seamus, I think a lot of people would be pretty interested to know because there were a lot of years actually where you were doing really well, um, right. at least on the, you know, the regional series. And then, you know, there was a pretty big time gap before you made it onto a factory team. Yeah. So how did you kind of like bridge that? Um, well, for I didn't give up. Well, that was one of one of the reasons. I this cycling is a sport of attrition. My dad always told me that. He's like, if you, you know, you got to ride the waves. You're gonna have low periods, and then you're gonna have high periods, um, and you're gonna have periods, maybe even years, a year, a whole season where you're gonna ride like shit, or you're gonna have seasons where you're gonna ride really well. Um, but in my mind, I always wanted to get be a factory racer. Um, for the for the, as long as I've lived racing, I just wanted to be a factory racer. I, I just wanted like, I don't know if it was like the cool gear or the support or the ability to travel and race, but um, I, the cool gear. I mean, those are the cool, it's the cool thing that any kid wants. But then when you start getting into it and you start to become a young adult and you're in tr- your training and racing and you're gotten to this point and you're, I was, you know, you're always on the cusp, always right there. And the transition was when I won, I, well, the transition was when I found a discipline that suited me, that I liked training for, and I capitalized on the opportunity to race a national championship that was literally like a four-hour drive from my house on terrain that I could race. I saw the potential. My foot was in the door with Giant. I had a, a, a national championship, and I was happy and fit and hungry to win and i basically all that all the stars aligned for me to like make that opportunity happen and i'm a 
I feel like my whole career, quote unquote career, of bike racing has been built on me capitalizing on opportunities. And I think I think athletes sometimes forget about, or they lose sight of being able to um, tap into their intuitive power to be able to just like look at an opportunity and seize it and and make the roadmap in their mind and and make it happen. Um, but like not forcing it to the way where you self implode. I did it pretty, I, I did it pretty happily and I did it very like, I would say holistically in a way at that point. Um, and that was, that was the, the way I was able to get on a factory team. I just saw an opportunity and I just, I just fucking went for it and it, it, and it ended up working out. It took, actually took a year after my first two national championships. I was still on giant mid Atlantic for another year basically giant was like, we'll give you a, we'll give you some support and you use whatever giant middle land's going to give you. We'll see what you're going to do for the next season, like a full season racing enduro. Um, so at that point I stopped racing cross country altogether. And my goal was to win uh, super D national championships again. So back that title up and I did it two years in a row. And that's when I got on the factory team. So that's, that was how it all materialized it for me, but it can be different for anybody, but you just have to figure out what works for you and how you can be the best performing athlete, um, to make those opportunities, uh, present themselves. Yeah. How was it? Um, you know, you say, uh, there's, there's times at which you're not racing well and you are, but that before getting on the factory team, I, I've worked with athletes and am currently working with athletes in that position where you're like, I'm the one who just doesn't have everything, you know, like, like that person on the team, like, like you're the, you're the have nots kind of thing is the right. have and the have nots. And you were in that position before you were in the haves in the factory. Like, how did you handle that? Um, I feel like I've always been a person that didn't have, <laughs> well, <laughs> I was always resourceful. I utilized the resources that I had um, available to me in the best way I could um, and didn't try to worry too much about what I, what I didn't have. Yeah. So for example, when I was racing cross country, I was my own worst enemy. And it took me a really long time to figure out how to um, separate what like for example, like Matt's dad had a bike shop. I don't, my dad doesn't have a bike shop. Like I don't have resources. I have to go, I have to drive 45 minutes to a bike shop and I'm not getting stuff at cost and I'm paying out of pocket for this. So it's like, that's the have and have not sort of scene. Like I'm using Matt, I'm just using you as an example. I like this is, this is <laughs> yeah, nothing to do fine. with our that's friendship fine. or anything, but like, that's like, that's where people get into this trap of like, well, I don't have this, but what, what, what do you have? You, you have a functioning bicycle, you have trails to ride on, um, you know, do you, ha do you have good org organizational skills? Can you learn how to work on your own equipment so you don't have to rely on anybody else? Um, you know, you can, start, you can start using bits and pieces of things that, um, that maybe somebody else doesn't have and use utilize skills and mindset skills that you that uh, somebody else might not have that you can overcome these things and become an even better athlete than somebody who has all the stuff yeah. or you know and i and 
you can't compare you can't compare it's apples and oranges we're all different human beings and organisms and, and we all operate on different levels and stuff so you just got to figure out what works best for you and people in social media nowadays i and even sometimes i get wrapped up in it but like people start looking at this guy oh my god he's like he's going so fast here and he looks so fast in his video and he's doing cool tricks and stuff and then you get down to um was that my video <laughs> definitely definitely not your video <laughs> but uh that was uh that was funny but <laughs> i have a few but, uh, stories actually about seamus's in the have not position um well there's... let me finish my thought all right yeah go yeah on, go let them go on about social media Keep going. It's good. everyone's but I was, about but... social media well, we can talk about ranting about social media, but you know, it'd be guys like they're doing cool tricks and blah, blah, blah. But you get them on a racetrack and somewhere you remove yourself from your, your, um, your home environment, your home trails or your comfort zone. You put them and you plop them into somewhere else and you said, okay, here's your five tracks you need to learn to race. So it's cool. They can jump. They can look cool on video. But then it's like, where's your racecraft? Do you know how to read a piece of trail? Do you, do you know how to uh, conserve energy on, on, on your practice days. So you have, you have energy when you race. Um, do you think about race tactics and strategy? So I might not be personally, I'm not the showiest human being on a bicycle. I'm bare bones point A to point B racer, which for, for me, it looks great on paper, but for social media is terrible. Like I, I've never had a video look fucking good at all. And I look terrible jumping. I look like a fucking condor on a bike. It looks terrible. Like you could take a video of me riding through a piece of trail and it's like, well, like it didn't even, doesn't even look fast. And I'm like, wow, I was, I was cooking there. And my buddy would be like, nah, do it again. Like we, you need to slow it down and like put a little more flair into it to look good. I'm like, oh, all right. So like, it's really hard for me to get into those, to look good on social media. So that's a lot of work for me. But maybe for somebody else, a lot of work for them is 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 racing. So the haves and have nots. It depends on your perspective of what, what you're what you're going after or like what you're thinking about. So I don't know if that kind of sum, sums it up. That was a little long winded, but I'm trying yeah. to yeah. No, draw a I good definitely picture. like that's that's going to be um, really valuable. I'll actually remove that and send that to some. Um, some of the academy young academies i work with because that's really interesting like if we look like initially if we just heard your your initial story and it's like oh yeah i tried and then i was really good and i won a bunch of races and then i got on a team you know that's what it sounds like and that's sort of how the story reads um from the outside looking in but then you hear it and you go oh well um even though you're winning and and you're you're trying new things and you're trying to find your way it still kind of sucked for a while and you still looked at it as though you were a have not whereas most people are going to look at it and go well he doesn't even need to try you know no way um, no way this guy was um he was working hard so here's my my couple like uh Seamus like how do you do it like how do you just like keep going stories like and the first one like he his first national championship that he won he had uh he was wearing these absolutely clapped out lycra shorts and like we were only given like we were given like six kits i think to race in which for you know most people that's enough for a season and here we are it's like halfway through the year and seamus's kits like the lycra was so stretched that um you know it just it just looked silly and one of the factory guys you know we're they're on the uplift and he just like 
busting him for his like clapped out shorts. And another time, you know, Seamus and I, we drove up to Canada and we were racing and um, we're getting our like drink bottles sorted out for, you know, our feeds. And um, Seamus pushes on his fork and the damper just flies out of the fork. Like <laughs> the fork just like blew up and he's like, he just looked at me and he just like put the damper in his pocket. So he, he did that race with no damper. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, and that was I a good trip. Stories, even when he did get on the teams, and uh, <laughs> he'd come back from like team camp, and you know he was still one of the. Initially, he started out as a have not, and you know everyone else would get sent home with like boxes full of gear, and Seamus would get like a few tires to take home or something, and he still st- stuck with it, and uh, yeah, it was always glossy. I think from the outside looking in, and like Seamus had his own poster and you know, that he could autograph and stuff and give to everyone. I don't think it was ever, like, a smooth road. Um, yeah, so why don't we transition into you get on the team, and that's, uh, what, yeah, like, 2013-ish. Um, so let's say the last five, six seasons. Like, what's that been like? Oh, it's been a hustle. Even still, like, so, like, well... I don't really know what factory means. I just know it's the goal. Like for the boys that and the, and some of the girls who want to get factory, like they're yeah. just like, they just call it factory like this. Um, I don't know dogma of like support that is like the the um pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Right? Like, can you explain to people who you know had have no idea even what factory means? Like, what is it? All right. Yeah, that's an e- that's not an easy one. This is this can go on for a couple minutes, but. Uh... Well, when you're on when you're on a factory team, you're racing for a bicycle brand. Uh, so Giant Factory Off Road Racing was my first factory team. So that was Giant Bicycles, like their proper factory team. Like that was their the the bicycle brand's uh, ultimate team. Like so, there was Giant. There's other like little satellite teams and stuff like that. But that was the team. So when you're on a factory team, especially Giant, like I wish I had raced for a, like a smaller brand factory team before I got on Giant. I would have, I would, I think I would have thrived a little bit better in that company. Um, it's a large company, so even within the factory team, there is a level of hierarchy, and a, and a, like and then so like you come into the factory team, you're down here, Carl Decker, Adam Craig, and the, you know Marcelo and these other guys are up here. So then, like, okay, it's cool. You're on the factory team, but like, like team camp, I'd get like a bunch of jerseys, my team bike, some swag and stuff, and I get sent home with like three or four tires. And these guys would go home with Marcel was getting shipped home with boxes and stuff. He was also doing World Cups and stuff. I was, I was doing handfuls of EWSs and things. So it makes sense that there is a hierarchy and there's a there's um, there's a people that are more important, I guess, in a way. Um, it's not clean cut. Well, maybe it is for some other teams, but that team, for example, was like they allocated resources the way that they thought probably the best way that they could be used. Um, when you're on a factory team, uh, giant, I never got a salary, but I was well, I was reimbursed quite well for podiums and travel was all taken care of. Um, and I think even f- some food was, I had a food stipend as well for that. So gas, lodging, race entry fees, a podium incentive. So podium bonuses. So I'd get a podium and they would pay me money. Um, and then they were paying for flights. So all my, 
itineraries and stuff. So when I would, everything on the East Coast, I'd be driving to. So that was taken care of through my reimbursements and my expense reports. But if I was flying to Whistler and Canada or Sea Otter National Championships, that was all hands off. I didn't, I didn't do, I literally, my team manager would send me itineraries and, and ask me if that was good or not. And I'd be like, yeah, I can leave on this day and that day. And he would book it and then send me the stuff. And he's like, we'll have somebody to come pick you up at the airport and on the other end. And they would come with a team truck and then they would have the lodging taken care of. And then once you're there, food was taken care of, dinners were taken care of, shuttles back and forth from the venue were taken care of. Uh, you hand your bike off to your, your team mechanic at the end of the day, be like, fork needs a rebuild or I smashed my derailleur, stuff would get taken care of. So in that sense, it was great. But with that level of support, I came in super green. Like I was literally a, a year and a half, two years into even racing enduro, transferring from strictly cross country. I didn't even have a dual suspension bike until my last year or two of racing cross country. So I came into 2013, I'm going to race downhill in Super D and enduros and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I had no experience. I had no knowledge of bike setup. I had... I just knew I could handle a bike semi well. Um, so I was learning on the fly with the factory team and being thrown in with these like these legends of the sport, um, honestly, because they're still around. These guys that have been with Giant for years and years and years and uh, people have podium at World Cups and stuff. And I'm just like this two-time national champion with minimal experience trying to learn the best I can and hang with these guys um so and i kind of got i kind of got caught in the undercurrent of that and it spit me out the other end where i i was too shy and not proactive enough if i was on the team now i feel like i'd be a better well ambassador and i have more knowledge and i'd be able to speak my uh, speak more fluently about with mechanics and team managers about my needs and what I see, how I see myself in, in the future of, of the team and the sport, because they would always ask these questions at team camp, like, what are your goals for the year? What are your, uh, where do you see yourself? And, you know, basically acknowledging your own business plan for yourself, even though you're with a factory team, they're not going to tell you what to do. Like, you have to be able to present to them that you're, you're willing and able to, like, put the effort in. If they're going to come this far, you have to go to the next step. And they were asking questions that, maybe I couldn't answer at the time. Um, and then, you know, it ends up being kind of like a little bit of a tit and tat, you know, and I I don't know. I just wasn't a great fit for the team at the end of two years. I think you were just um, learning so much. Like, cause I was, you came into I, a new sport, you came into a totally new environment. Um, totally. And like everyone was figuring out enduro and you're figuring out how to be an employee because you always did everything yourself. Yeah, that was totally. A, that was a big difference for you. It was like the hugest transition. And honestly, it just created a great level of frustration. Even though I was, I was racing quite well. I was, but every, like I still, I'm still learning so much every race that I go to, um, especially this year, like with all new, like all new equipment, but we'll get to that. But like, just in those like basic first years of racing, like I was still winning Eastern States Cup Enduros. Guys were starting to figure it out. Guys were coming from downhill and starting to race the Enduro stuff and they were getting fitter 
every year they keep getting fitter. So like it got more competitive. And once it got more competitive, I was learning more. But the frustration was that like, I, I didn't feel like I could make the team happy, even though I was racing well. And I was just like, I don't know, like, what's so what's the end goal? Like, I don't like, <laughs> so I don't, it didn't really work out the best. It wasn't the best fit for me. I think, yeah, um, I think that was mostly like, well, I think it was a bit of you because, you know. Totally. It yeah. was totally me. Yeah. Because yeah, no, you were. Blame, like, blames on me, for sure. <laughs> yeah. You were just figuring out yourself too much. I don't think, you know, even you knew what you wanted because it was so, everything was so new. So. Yeah, true yeah. story. But those guys hit the ground running, too. Like, the giant team. Like, uh, I don't know, when the first EWS was 2013? And those yeah. guys are, had already had a couple seasons of those racing under under the belt. Like Josh Carlson, who still races for him. Like, those guys were, like, they were flying even even seven years, six, six, five years ago, six years ago. So um, they, were, they were cranking. Like, I... I could hang, but like when it come down to races and stuff, it was just like, it kind of, it could be a mess. Yeah. But. You're like still like, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out how to set up my fork. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Yeah. 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 I was like, what's low speed compression? What's high speed? I just, all I had was rebound and air on a, on a cross country fork. Even yeah. in my first enduro bike, that's all it was. It's super simple. <laughs> yeah. They didn't I like do stuff that's simple. No, but it, but it worked mm. pretty good. Yeah. So then what happened after, after giant like um was that like i guess was it was it pretty um almost demoralizing like you'd you'd built it up and you said like as a kid you're like i want to be a professional like rider like and then you got that chance and you were in that situation and you're like oh man this is not what i wanted oh it was a huge mind fuck uh i i finished that i finished that race season so I was on factory for Giant from 2000. Well, kind of a little bit in 2014. They were like helping me out and they flew me to a couple of races. But so 2015 proper, 2016. So it was two years. The end of 2016, um, that was the year I broke my finger, my finger and my hand. I had a weird year that year. I was racing really well um, early in the season, but they were like, I was supposed to do some more EWS races, but they, they basically just told me like, no, we're going to send this other kid. Like one of the, um, he was like co-factory. Um, so they were starting to like do weird things with like budget and stuff. And like, and then I broke my hand and my finger at national championships in mammoth. So that kind of took me, um, actually healed from that really fast. But, and even then I recovered from that and I was racing, still racing really well. and just like, got comfortable on my equipment that year because it was my second year on giant i was like i knew all this stuff i started starting to figure it out and i had really good results even at the end of the season and i couldn't get them to confirm whether or not that i was going to race for the team in the following year there was like some big changes happening within the company and the team itself um and and i kind of i didn't get scared but like i finally like just laid it out to my team manager and just was like listen dude i was like I have to be real with you. I was like, do you, am I on the team or not for next year? And he couldn't give me a straight answer. And I just like, all right, find somebody else. So that's like, that was a really hard conversation to have. Um, with my it's internal monologue, you're just, and it's, it is just business for sure. But it's what's really hard about <clears throat> being an athlete is the business or the company is you. 
so for sure you're not like speaking on behalf of this brand it's like the brand is you and you're speaking directly to the person about right. being employed or being signed like are you going to sign my brand which is me who's talking right to your face right yeah it's yeah. like someone saying like they don't want my product to be part of their business well okay i can go fix my product but when someone's telling that that they don't want you as the product to be part of their brand you're like okay i'll go fix my product like, <laughs> and it's a tough question to ask like uh am i good enough for you like well, to say straight up i mean that's kind of what i had that what, what i kind of like what basically what i asked long-windedly asked um and you know and they said i got the answer was if you can find something better go do it yeah which that's- that's in just a, way, a good negotiation you, skill, really. It, like, it is it really is a good negotiation skill, but at that point I was like, well shit, maybe I can find something better. So like and lucky for me that year, it was still early enough in the um in the sponsorship season that I had time to reach out to people. So I reached out to KHS Factory Racing because I had been to Pro JRTs. My brother was a part of a lot of um downhill racing, uh, especially with the World Cup here at Wyndham. He was track designer and builder, um, him and his buddy Lee. And he also designed the four cross track at Wyndham. So he was really keen with a bunch of team managers. And so he was like, hey, you should probably contact uh, Quentin Spaulding from KHS. Um, and he gave me a couple other stuff, which never led anywhere. But Q is one of the only guys that got back to me. But if anybody knows Quentin, he's a little bit slow because he kind of waits to kind of let everything play out in front of him before he um kind of jumps on anything um and so i had emailed him in august he's i was like is there any interest for you guys khs to have um a, like a, a factory enduro racer and he was like yes let's talk and i was like okay and then i emailed him back and nothing radio silence so at that point i was just then i just started emailing companies and well, uh, at that a, point, it started LinkedIn. to look like you were going to do a privateer. Like yeah, so that's like what I was trying to, to do. I was that year. Yeah, I was. So I never got anything back from from Q. So I went on my way and was just like, all right, I need a bike, I need tires, I need wheels, I need whatever. Basically, whatever I could find a contact or an email, I was emailing resumes and and talking to people about it. So I, this is now we're kind of getting into October and I've got BMC, I got Victoria tires, I got TRP brakes. I've got um, a whole host of other sponsors. People are going to start kicking a little bit of cash. I had a little bit of something to work with for the next, for the next year. And uh, literally to the second, I'm printing out contracts from BMC, Victoria tires and a couple other people. And my, my, my email bings and I look at it and it's Quentin and he's like, hey, uh, do you want to uh, sign with KHS for, you know, as an Enduro racer for 2017? And I was like, I was like, shit. So I'm like emailing people and I'm emailing him back. I was like, if you're serious, I want a contract by Monday. And so I just like, I just, just put everything down and I just waited. And I was like, all right, well, I have to like, I have to wait now. And uh, he had a contract to me first thing Monday morning and it was legit. And I was like, I'll only do it if you sign me for two years because that way we have some longevity and we have like, we have a good working relationship. I was like national championships again, 
will be on the East Coast for two years. I feel like I have a really good shot at winning that. This is me grasping at opportunities. I, I saw it all line up, and I was like, listen, I was like, national championship hit snowshoe. I feel like I'm finally finding my sea legs racing enduro. You guys have a fantastic factory team. Like, you have a lot of really good support. You're, they're super low-key. It's not, like, super corporate. And uh, I was like, I, I want two years, so we can we can work this out. Like, at least one of those two years, I, I'm pretty sure we can come up with a podium, at least for Enduro National Championships. And, yeah, we so we redesigned the contract, and he sent it back to me, and I signed it. And then I was like, oh, shit. I got all these other companies that I've, like, told them I was going to ride for. But then, like, I emailed everybody and explained it. I didn't sign anything. It was all just verbal, like, agreements at that point. Um, and uh, they were all pretty cool with it. And I had really good relationships with them at that point. So um, I was able to actually utilize some of those for this year. <laughs> um, and, then, so, yeah. and then you were no, on the factory team again for two years. And you yeah. ended up winning national title four and five four and five in yeah enduro. khs in enduro which yeah. was really dope yeah i was excited about that you were too yeah. i was blown away the first the first one i won it was crazy it was uh i didn't i didn't expect it because that was a two-day race and then the, after the first day i was leading by i was only leading by six seconds and i had a whole nother uh, four stages the next day but the first day was the was the stages that didn't suit me the best so i was really nervous for the second day because the stages were longer a little bit flatter and a little bit more off paced like techie east what matt and i would know is like quote unquote east coast riding um and i just knew that like i needed to go to bed and eat a ton of food and like get my shit sorted out because I knew I could if everything went good that's me at like at my optimal like I just knew that I could just put it down and like I could win that race and I did and I that was I was just like holy fuck I just won another national championships in a different discipline too so it was pretty cool yeah and so that team was was good for two years like oh they were fantastic there was it's like um super um super chill like super professional like we would get everything we needed um but when we were at the races it was so low-key like we had we had a really good time um when, it, when we were all together it was uh it wasn't stressful at all at any point um and and quentin uh he was he was a guy that would, would never put pressure on anybody he was very um he was really supportive and and uh not being a results driven uh team manager uh he was really content driven and he just wanted us to have a really good time and he knew that if we had a good time we'd be able to race really well and they were able to just uh i don't think there was any one point during the time i was on khs i didn't have something i didn't need how do you like, think i always like... ha had stuff i always had the equipment so that was like that was like a huge uh advantage i guess i always had like cassettes and chains and things to work with and tires and they may not have been the tires that i wanted personally that might have been the wrong width but i always had tires to race on um i mean the same thing with with giant was the same way but like khs was just there was no bullshit they were just like there was a purely like a racing team but like they were also just really into making sure that the athletes were happy and they had what they wanted um 
and the structure of the KHS factor team was quite different. Um, I was getting podiums, I was getting a salary, and I don't know, was I getting, it was only last year, I can't remember if I was getting expenses. Yeah, I was getting some expenses as well um, for certain things. So that was super, super good because that was the first time, well, I'm not getting a salary now, but a very small one, but it was the first time that I was like making a, I was getting a check every month for racing. Yeah. That Before took a lot of pressure Because that was yeah, actually. Yeah, a job. That was when you were able to stop working. Um, well, I probably should have still been working, but I was able to like, <laughs> I was able to use my monthly, uh, my monthly, my, my yearly salary. I guess I was getting paid yeah, yearly, but like I was using, use that money and I would go to the bank. And then I was like doing quite well in racing and the, and the podium incentives with KHS were, were actually like pretty phenomenal. Um, you weren't so, hurting for money in um, any of those two years. So. No. <laughs> like you, you were in a pretty good position and i think yeah. when you say you probably should have worked i think maybe you you're more meaning that it like uh maybe a little bit better balance is that kind of what you mean uh yeah i had a lot of time to do nothing <laughs> because you can only train so many hours in a day um and uh and i only and like i say that now looking back on the bunch the years that i was on giant and, and whatever i like wish i had more things to do because now i have so much shit to do <laughs> and i'm like damn like it's it's nice to always have something to work on uh whether it's my career as a massage therapist my riding career as a racer or just like honing my fly fishing skills or going out in the morning and like calling in a turkey and shooting it <laughs> like i did today but <laughs> yeah. or uh or just like there's always something to work on now now that i'm like working and training and racing and like it's really cool but then then again you yeah. have to start to like compartmentalize your brain and then figure out what what's worth keeping and what's worth throwing away and really organizing it and seeing you're like really knowing what matters the most so yeah. like being an organized human being is like right now is like well they always like, say like, it's what? like if you want something done right like you ask the busiest person to do it you know so like yes. when like yeah no, that's just if you want something done yeah yeah not okay. well okay. right <laughs> but you know like when Seamus was uh, not working he like so you were training you know 20 ish hours a week um, yeah and that leaves yeah. a lot of other like you take a nap every day right you'd make sure you eat right you're always working on your equipment um, but you uh, still have yeah, probably too much. <laughs> yeah, it's still had a lot of time. Still had a lot of time on my hands, um, and that's that's when I started doing a lot more fly fishing because I needed an outlet. Um, and then yeah, so I mean that's just a whole other topic. But yeah, I had a lot of time to do do uh, do nothing, sit around and think, and then you kind of stew. But the years that I had. <laughs> nothing to do i mean those those are great races like it's not like it's not like my mind was self-destructing like a lot of people if they had nothing to do they'll just sit there and overthink stuff overthink their racing overthink their training and stuff like that i, was, I wasn't doing that like in a, in a sense i was if i was thinking about it i was trying to think about it in a way that was going to be productive and not destructive um and i think matt you can even like i don't think there was any times during that that i was starting to get like into self-destruction mode or maybe i was on the brink of it and you pulled me back from the edge i don't i don't i don't really recall yeah i don't know i think like um after dealing with athletes 
for a long time. I think like, you know, I have a really good understanding of how hard of a job it is and like how stressed like you guys and girls get. Um, right. Like, um, yeah, I don't think you were ever on the brink of like uh, quitting or anything like that. Like you were just, you just had like different um, stresses than, you know, someone who's working and just racing for fun kind of has. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, well, when you talk to people about it and they, for example, maybe somebody that was or is a racer and has a full-time job and is also pretty successful at it, they will look at somebody that doesn't quote unquote work. Like racing is is a job. It's is a full-time job within itself, even if you're working full-time and just say that it's not, not a job. But if you think about it as somebody that's a performance athlete, and you have a lot of a lot of stresses and like performance driven it ends up becoming a full-time job because because you have to be selfish in a way to be able to perform at those times so like for example like when i was when i won national championships 2014 or 14 2000 um 17 and 18 it was just like that's what that was my goal and i was like i had to do everything i could to to reach that and i wasn't gonna let anything else um at that point get in my way in a in a in a sense so um but i don't know i'm just kind of yeah so what you're not with khs like what happened there it sounds so amazing does sound so amazing but (laughs) there is corporate stuff that happens um they so we have a fantastic president called donald trump and uh, so there was these t- Trump tariffs on Chinese on uh, Chinese goods. Um, uh, KHS also lost one of their. Uh, they lost some something happened within the company where they like, they kind of took a financial hit potentially. I don't I don't know the details and like I I'm probably know more than I need to know. I'm not gonna like disclose any of it. They're fine. It ended up all being okay, but they. Um, I don't know. And then there was a change in the way the structure they want how they wanted a team. Um, Quentin and uh, I think was those guys were getting a little burnt out on 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 traveling maybe and stuff like that. And again, you come to a point where you have to start looking at where you want to be in your racing, where your life goals are, what's happening around you. It's not just your bike riding. It's not just riding on the track. Um, some of this was some of this was. Um, were uh decisions that were kind of made for me and i just had to kind of fill in the gaps so uh i submitted a a contract or a a, like a rough draft quentin and i to the president of uh of khs back way back in i don't know it was even before national championships i think it was like the end of june of last year um obviously with the national championship on your title with the company, there was a bit of a pay raise, not substantial, but it was like just a bit more. We were trying to bump up a couple things. I had some new goals and, and new ideas in my mind that I thought I wanted to do with my bike racing. Um, and we kept kicking, we, every month we would try to beat the drum and kick it in to the, you know, to the higher ups that were actually signing the paychecks and making sure like stuff was getting done. And uh, nothing was happening. So I thought for sure that the team was going to like, or I would be riding with them at least for another season. And then it basically came to the end of October after my last race. And and I went around and around. I talked with the president and the vice president and they couldn't give me direct answers again. 
not that they didn't want me on the program. It's just like they didn't know what was what was happening. And at that point, I, I, I didn't panic. I was just like, well, and then I got the, I got the, like, if you can find something better, do it again. And it's like, I'm one of these people, if you're going to push me, I'm going to go, I'm going to tell you, not going to tell you to go fuck yourself, but I was like, well, fine, <laughs> great. Like, yeah. I'll go try to find something better. Yeah. Well, I try, like, I'll try to find something better. And Seamus uh, is a really so, good racer, but I would say his negotiation skills, um, you know, he's, <laughs> he's been training like as a, like a, a greenhorn, you know, so like you kind of just left. And but I remember that time, like because you know, um, there was a lot of talk about the tariffs and especially in the bike industry and especially right. with companies that have things made in China. Like there was a lot yeah. of worry about that. And actually, just this yeah. week, that's that's now a thing again, because it sounds like it's actually going to go ahead. So the bike industry's got suddenly they have direct to direct all these resources to um well they're gonna basically lose money right they have to pay the tariffs yeah yeah so like if we want bikes in the u.s um you know someone's got to pay that means like you as a racer like you know you're you're not as important anymore no bottom the bottom line's important so yeah and that's just business well and i totally get it too um, I think that if it was any different, if it was a different time or whatever, I, I may, I may be still riding for him this year, but, um, the team program took a change. Like they changed directions, which is completely fine. I was getting answers really late in the year that I didn't necessarily want to hear. Um, and, uh, there was some, there was some major life changes going on and, and around me and, uh, I just decided that I was going to try to do it all on my own. And it was super late in the sponsorship year. So I just basically just started again, like, like I did in 2016 was just start emailing everybody that I, that I could with whatever resources that I had available to me. And it wasn't until, um, it wasn't until mid, I don't know, mid November that I even was even getting any interest of a bike to ride on or anybody was like getting back to me and I didn't sign a contract for a bike company until January. So, um, as far as that goes, I'm really lucky to even have what I have this year to, to even put a bike on a racetrack. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really fortunate and I'm going to do the best I can this season with what I got, um, uh, which is a lot like the, the companies didn't have to do what they did for me this year. Um, but I'm also not getting paid a salary. I'm getting like little bits and pieces from a couple companies, which is in a lump sum is a pretty substantial amount of cash, but it's not income that I live on. That's money that I use to parlay and to be able to go to the next race to fund my trip in uh, July so I can go race national championships in the EWS races in the US Open in July and August. Um, to fund my uh, all of the Eastern States Cup stuff, um, so that's why I'm back working full time, um, or basically full time. Well, now that I'm in race season, I'm I'm basically every every other week uh, I'll work a full week and then I'll take uh, half a week off to go to the race and then come back. So it's a little bit hectic and busy, but um, once July hits, I won't. I'm not gonna work. Like I'm gonna be out west driving around in a van. So yeah. I've been I'd saving say, a lot. I'd say to like this make season. That happen. 
like with the build up to the season, like you have a really good balance this year because you are so busy. And it's that kind of thing where, you know, you ask the busy person to do it and, you know, suddenly you, you find time to fit in like 40 hours of work and you're training, you know, nearly as much. Um, um, yeah, I don't remember a lot of the winter. It feels like it was a blur because I, I moved from New Hampshire to New York and came into the spa where I used to work and uh, came in for a massage and basically left with a job. And I was like, oh, shit, like. I was like, so then I had to like re-register my massage therapy license for New York State, uh, which was easy, well, kind of easy. It was kind of a pain in the ass because I let my registration lapse because I wasn't working with it for a bunch of years, but it ended up being fine. So we're all good. And then had not done any sort of massage therapy work for years and then working full time and then also still sorting out all my sponsorship stuff and then and then training and then like trying to get my feet underneath me from moving back back to New York. I was like so much stuff going on. I just don't even know how I even got to this point. Um, I'm, I'm still alive, so we're good. You <laughs> made, it, like, made it out the other I, side. I, yeah, we made it out the other side. And, and the, uh, the first race of 2019 is done and dusted. Um, and I'm still picking mud and dirt out of clothing. And uh, yeah, it was fun. But not the result that I wanted, but uh, I have some really good takeaways from it. So we're, we're all good. The next one's next. We got, what, next week's the next race. So I think we'll be good. I got, I got, uh, I got it all sorted. We'll be fine. Wow. So it's a, it's a pretty interesting ride from, uh, from, you know, starting out in cross country to being like a legitimate professional athlete. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Like I find it really uh, fascinating just how it's, it looks so different. Like when I see you, even this year, following you on social media and you're like oh you got a new bike like a new canyon like right you know and the athletes that i work with are in similar positions and it's like you know you you've really opened the open people's eyes to like what actually goes on behind the scenes because yeah you know if 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 i'm just like a someone who who works a general 40 hour week likes to ride in the weekends and someone is going to give me a bike and fly me to a race i'd be like wow that's incredible right um but then if that if within your 40 hour a week job someone said um oh you know we need you to go um to sydney australia you're not going to expect to have to pay for yourself right you know and you're not going to have to um you know get yourself over there do the work that you're getting paid to do and then fly yourself back and if you did a good job maybe they would actually pay you right um, doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense no, like and no. but this is what's what's going on and right. uh, in your life like that is your job like you you, sh- you should hopefully get flowing places and to uh-huh. work for the companies i'm yeah. not sure when yeah. it happened that um you know because back in the day when mountain biking first started the salaries were pretty good like mm-hmm. um yeah well that's what i remembered that's what i remember like being at mount snow and just like not i didn't like no know what these guys are making but it was like polished it was like absolutely obscene like the remember the team trailers like well so i was i had i was I always wanted so when I was a junior expert, like I wanted to be on Devo, which was like the biggest junior expert team. It was factory junior expert. These kids were like, they would roll in. Uh, John Kemp had a limousine with 
with uh, <laughs> with a bike rack on top of it, and they would he would drive into the pits, literally drive into the pits with this. All the Devo kids would pile out of this fucking thing, go to go into the pits. They had team mechanics. It was like I was like, oh my god, this is fucking sick. Are any of those like, guys racing anymore? Anyone that was on that team? Uh, uh fuck no because this is so. the other thing that really surprises me about you is like you see all these juniors and they're like you know whether their parents give it to them or um you know they work and they get on a really good team or whatever it doesn't it doesn't matter right and they're really good as juniors and but like you know where are they now like are they still racing or it's how, how did you make it through how are you still doing it is you, do you just uh, love it that much more than everyone else? Uh, well, I think that I was talking to Ian Herkenerder. Uh, he's my suspension tech guy. Uh, he used to he used to run Red Tail Suspension, um, but he's kind of that's on a back burner right now. But he still does a bunch of work with me. But um, I was telling him over the winter um, about like I was like I like bikes. And I like, in a way, I like bikes. In a way, I love, I don't like bikes. I love bikes. I kind of hate them at the same time, especially when I have to work on them. But what I love about racing is that I can push myself. It's my athletic outlet. I'm not an, a really good artist. I'm not really good at a lot of things, but I'm really good at pushing myself. And it's a way to be able to like, just ex uh, express myself in, a, in the best way that I can. So bike racing at first was like, it was cool because like I could hang out with people and it was like, I'm, I, I've kind of found my, my niche and stuff. And then it's always manifests itself into something else every year. And since I started racing enduro and I guess becoming successful and stuff, I've found bike racing to be my like artistic outlet. You can ride a piece of trail one way today you can ride it a different way tomorrow um it's your canvas it's like your your whatever and so is so is uh training is the same way for me there is a hundred different ways not a hundred different ways like matt and i were talking about before the podcast on a separate phone call a coaching proper f pr coaching phone call about <laughs> about intervals that i wanted to do on thursday morning and i wrote a couple notes into training peaks and then Matt was like, well, what about you could do, you could do that workout, but you could also do these like three other ones that were like, will get you the same benefit, but you're mixing it up the same way. So you kind of get a, like a really cool way to like stress your body and create an adaptation uh, without getting burnt out on doing the same workout all the time. So training for me and racing and riding my bike all kind of come together into this little this little package of uh matt's leaving but this little ball of like it's just like the way i'm able to express myself in the best way that i possibly can as a person that's just kind of like how i am so if, even if i stopped racing i would still probably find a way to push myself trail riding or or whatever it might be even a different sport but who knows i don't know if that makes sense but. Yeah, yeah, no, because that's like it's important. I think um, you know, as a as a junior, um, it's and I don't know if I necessarily agree with a lot of like how the junior programs are structured, um, because it puts. Um, I've worked with juniors and very successful ones, mm -hmm. like youth Olympians and things, and it 
like they choose to do the sport because it's like fun it's like just maybe their parents did it or it was just right. a popular sport at school um and then they found themselves good at it um right that doesn't mean that they've tried to be good at it right it just means like that maybe they developed early for whatever reason they're good at the sport so then you have someone some like 40 50 year old man going to like some junior um junior child um saying like oh you're good enough to be in the national team right and you're like well i was only doing this for fun now you want me to do it now i have to be good right like now there's all this pressure that they weren't ever intending to have like right because when you've you've chosen to do it as like your artistic expression you're like yeah put me on your team and i'll show you what i can do i can show you how that, I can push myself. Well, you've nailed it on the head because that's the that's the way I've always approached racing. So when my my mother and father, when I was like just the early years of even when I was racing BMX, they never ever pushed me to go race a bike. I wanted to go. They were willing to support it. I would. They would told me you can do it as long as you want to do it, and we'll we'll help you out. We'll drive you to the track. We'll do this as long like you know you got responsibilities as as a as a child or as a, as a young adult, you know. But if you show that you're putting in the effort, we'll help you out. Like meet us meet us halfway, you know. So that's the one thing is nobody ever told me, like even in my depths of frustration, of bike racing, I'm like, I did this to myself. Like this is nobody's nobody's like telling me i have to do this i'm not in a federation i'm not on the, i'm not on a the national team getting going over to europe and stuff um i turned down some of those opportunities um to be able to go r- ride for the national team um first some of it was monetary value some of it was like i was going to miss racing that i that i personally wanted to do so i didn't do a lot of that stuff but like nobody that was the one thing i didn't i don't like when people have to tell me what I'm going to do with my own artistic expression, which is my athletic riding and training in my performance. I just don't like Matt can tell me stuff, but it's like, that's different. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> it takes a lot of years to get you to that point, but uh, it, it, no, I don't, yeah, <laughs> no, no, you were always, you were always a really good um, athlete, but coaching's different. Like I'm not telling you like, um, Oh, if you don't do this workout, I'm going to smack you around or something. It's like, no. like, if you don't do it, like, that's up to you. You're just not going to get better. better. Or, yeah. Like, so, like, yeah, and it's more of a relationship anyway where we're working together to find the best thing for you as well. Yeah, and I think I really took the, that, that bull by the horns this year, and that was the other thing, too, on top of all the other stuff. Was I, I, I mean, you were writing programs for me, but I was also editing and or putting in my own workouts and stuff seeing fit oh one of those guys uh, no no yeah, no I think that was really though. i think it's different so i think um it, that has been a shift that happened this year is like seamus started to like do a little bit more self-coaching um and like from the moment we started it was like okay i'll put it i put it in the calendar and seamus does it there was not going to be ever any question whether that would happen oh, um, and i did it everyone oh every single one and then if something needed to be changed like we talk about it and then we change it but you know as like we've been this is our sixth season working together right so we started actually no 2000 end of 2012 so that winter we went in we did that fitness test down at down at uh 
Stroudsburg. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So. So that's eighth, when we started. Eighth yeah, year. And he, eighth year, and you told me to like. So we basically based on that fitness test, where he was like, "You just need to like go do nothing, for a long time." <laughs> yeah. I was in a world of hurt. Well, was that that was hurt. when like I was like, "Oh, what have you been doing?" I was like, "Bro, you just take a month off." And like then you took yeah. a month off. This was like the very first thing we did. You took a month off. And then you came back and did a power test and you had your best ever power. And then it was I, insane. It's like my body rebounded. It was like, I needed a hard five years to put like, and then like a month off or something to just yeah. put out my best power. It was yeah. so silly. Yeah. I don't know if that thing was calibrated. Right. But I, I remember I was still, I was still cross country weight at that point, even after a month off in the holidays, I was, I was probably 185 and I did this power test on my rollers in my parents' sunroom and I did 465 watts for 20 minutes <laughs> that was pretty yeah. good. wow and and then i basically um so then i was like still riding a little bit with the power meter and then the thing shit to bed and i didn't train at all with the power meter that year yeah, so i had like I had, mm -hmm. yeah i i i don't ha i can't have nice things so um i'm back not training with a power meter because i didn't sign contract because i wanted to train by feel and intuitively yeah. and uh just checking with heart rate a bit i still i have the power meter on my road bike but i got a flat tire on my last road ride and i haven't changed it yet so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's always the way yeah so, so i just I, ride <laughs> but i do think like so like you were in and out of power there for like the first couple years like um and then we uh once in a while we'd do a power test on your road bike uh -huh. And then yeah. you were like super like absorbed with training with power. And I think because you came into training and we, it was almost like a, a yearly kind of periodization where we almost tapered you for a couple of years and we're like, oh, well, this must be how we train you. So for two years, we kind of trained you with a really pretty low volume and you, right. you responded to that really, really well initially. Um, but then as we got in towards the end of that second year, I, what I think happened is we stuck with the same method of training because it had worked before, but you didn't come right. into it with all this fatigue from the years before. So I think yeah, exactly. you started to yeah. decondition a little. And then... Uh, I do, yeah, I do feel like in 2014 and in 15, there was a, a slight level of... De de I was still fit, but I was like, it wasn't as, as fine-tuned. Yeah. But then yeah, we so really was... built you up for like right. uh, 16, 17, especially 18. Like you were really fit. Um, right. And now you've kind of, we've kind of shifted where um, I'm not in there like scrambling, like trying to give you like the dopest training peaks. It's like more like you kind of know what to do after like seven years. Yeah. Um, and then definitely. it's just more of like checking back and like running things by each other. Yeah. And I'm also not doing it as my like full time gig anymore. Um, and I have to re respect the balance of, of what goes on in life, um, outside of, outside of my, my racing. Like there's a lot of shit that goes on. Like I, I have responsibilities. I have, uh, rekindled passion, something I went to college for that I'm reutilizing those, those tools and relearning all sorts of stuff, which is really cool. It's not a distraction. I think it's a really good balance and I, and I'm really fine tuning my own body with that. Um, and uh, and and working uh, working on six people a day, you're not gonna want to do something at the end of the day. It takes the energy right out of you. I may not be completely physically fatigued, but like I'm 
I wouldn't say emotionally drained. That's not the word for it, but like, I'm tired. Like there's like, there's some level of like transfer of energy. Like I just, there's shit. I don't want to do, I don't want to do anything. Like I'll just, I'm just going to like, you know, drink some water, have a drink, like maybe have a little bourbon or something and go to bed. You know, I just like, that's it. (laughs) Like done till the next day. I have to train in the morning when I work on uh, full days. I have to get up at, I have to be up by five, five thirty training by six and done by eight thirty, so i can be at work by nine thirty. so i i have to do it because like if i push it out to the end of the day i won't do it at all i definitely won't especially over the winter time when there's no light like i get the winter blues a little bit so i have to like it's easier for me to get up in the morning when there's no daylight and sit on the trainer in the basement and just like put my earbuds in and do a workout or lift weights once the sun comes up i don't want to ride in the basement i have to do it in the dark it's some mental mind fuck that I have to do. Like, I just, that's just the way it works. Like, I'll just, I have to do it. Once the sun comes up, I start to shut down a little bit. I'm like, all right, it's time to go to work, work. Like, I have to go, like, to actually, like, make money. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, that's fun. I really, I actually really enjoy, like, getting up early and, and training when I have to, um, especially in the wintertime. Uh, so it was, that's really fun. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I also did, got back into snowboarding this year which was super awesome i haven't i hadn't touched a snowboard for since i was 13 years old 14 years old something like that basically like right when i started to get like really into mountain bike racing i stopped riding on a snowboard so um now i got came full circle and uh, i needed that like that like outlet something else to do for the winter time to get my brain off of yeah. a lot of other things and just it was a really good thing for me to like use as a transition because i actually i started snowboarding later in the ski season um kind of around the time that i normally would be going to team camp honestly like right about february and stuff like i started to get the itch like i want to ride my mountain bike and it's snowing and i'm working you know 35 40 plus hours a week especially holiday weeks so i was just like just doing so much and training and stuff but i didn't have that like that outlet to like i needed to go fast and uh my coworker, like i'm li- literally looking at the ski mat right now through the window but my coworker was like why don't you like get your snowboard we like get free passes and stuff and like let's go and uh i went out night skiing one night it was like probably the iciest night of the year got back on a snowboard did two runs on the bunny hill didn't fall down and and then we went right up and i was just doing full runs and then by the end of the season i was just like almost i was a better snowboarder than i was when i stopped like just from all the years of racing mountain bikes and seven years of racing a bike down a mountain like i had a different perspective and then i started to draw parallels between snowboarding and mountain biking and i started to like i was riding my snowboard like i was riding a piece of single track with your whole handlebars and stuff that's not a bad idea dude i could be that that dude like jerry the dad just out there with like i'd be silly but people do it in um, the gym right dude the stuff that people do in the gym is stupid (laughs) how about we get your thoughts on uh gym work gym work should be simple to the point and not long-winded yeah yeah that's Uh, like hanging from the ceiling holding a ball and between your legs while holding handlebars to stimulate simulate like the yeah. wobble of the bike what are you doing <laughs> like why i, I think, think that's that... an example of having too much time on your hands 
dude yeah. i could be that guy that's like that could that's cool it like makes great for uh makes good social media content like we all like to know what, what people do like but i'm i'm the dude that's gonna do plyometrics i don't have plyo boxes i have a blown out fucking uh water barrel in the side yard that's about like i'm now jumping over it like so that's my plyo box like i don't have a box like i have a bit i have a 55 gallon drum in the side yard and that's what i use as a plyo and box. when you want to make like, it higher you just stack blocks of wood under it yeah super sketch and april we've had and and when april we started doing the plyo workout and it was 21 days of rain so every time i'd do a workout it'd be pissing fucking rain in the morning it was slippery as shit so actually it's probably no better than what those people were doing in the gym balancing and stuff because like i, I could have slipped off and like fucked myself up but yeah. i didn't because i was focused <laughs> yeah because you didn't just like get finished juggling or something yeah like i wasn't <laughs> i mean i wasn't it's funny because, I was, yeah. um yeah. like if people saw your gym it's like your bike workshop and like i remember when you first started squatting too much weight and like your bar like you just have one of those real skinny squat bars and just uh, tiny ones yeah um, yeah and some of your weights got are like the ones that you fill with sand to make them the right weight <laughs> so like yep. you have like a mixture of like yep. rusty old like plates yeah. And like you're just you just have it weights filled up the whole way. You can't actually add anything else, even if no. you did could fill more with sand. Yeah, those are weights that my dad had <laughs> back when he was like when JP was like the fucking the shit dude. When he could like squat fucking a brick building and then go run a marathon and then he would go like <laughs> commercial fishing on the Hudson River and then go like kill a deer and drag it out of the mountain this guy like in his prime it's like my dad was a fucking beast so but I have all these weights in the basement from when he was like training and stuff so it was it's silly and uh, I didn't have a lot of room to like sling weights around it was pr actually it's it's pretty unsafe um but uh I've I've gotten better about it so um yeah but matt right, matt so laughs matt laughs about it but i've uh, <laughs> i mean there was a couple years where i was in a proper gym but uh i i like my my little my little nook that's um that's probably about all we've got time for otherwise people might like geez almost an hour and a half um one of the long ones um matt was there anything you wanted to wanted to touch on before we wrap it up I, do you guys want to? You guys want to do a couple um, questions? There was people that sent in a couple questions, and I kind of said that I was going to get to them. And I feel bad if I oh, did. All right, all right. If I had, yeah, definitely. If I hadn't, at least Matt. Actually, do you want to go to my Instagram story and read those out, <laughs> and then I'll answer them as we go? Um, actually, there's one of them where I did it as a joke, and I would not. Don't. It's um, our buddy Jeff uh, thought he was being funny, but. Let's not do, do that. <laughs> I don't know. You guys oh, scrolling yeah. through those right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's go past that one. <laughs> Some of them uh, I think are just kind of jokes, but, um, I know, but they're not jokes, but the one, um, uh, how do you balance? Oh, how do you go about balancing a work life that involves heavy travel with being fit with sometimes no access to gyms and healthy foods? So I think we touched on a bit, of uh the first portion of that with like well balancing is just like yeah just like figuring out a good routine what works for you but like access to gyms and healthy food but basically like, are you once... doing your hair man yeah 
<laughs> Does it look good? No. No. It looks I terrible. Can't, I can't see it because I just have a little small view of myself. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but, but uh, access to gyms and healthy foods. But like once the, well, obviously we t- talked about where my gym is. It's in my basement. Utilize what you have. You don't need a lot to get good workouts in. Um, and acts and healthy foods on the road. I don't have a particular diet that I stick to, like like a vegan or I don't even know what the other diet, uh, paleo or anything like that. I do eat foods that I feel like resonate with my body the best. Um, I try to stick to those, but I as far as pre-race stuff um, or being uh, traveling, I used to have routines. It was terrible because then once you don't have a routine, you start to stress. Stress will will annihilate anybody's uh, race weekend and they could be the most prepared person peak fitness and they could be stressed to no end and then you know it could really throw them off so just eat what's really good if you feel like it's good for you and then kind of you know be flexible i'm an opportunistic eater um if you tempt me with food and a drink um uh i'm easily persuaded so yeah how about chipotle Uh, um, I'm not a super big Mexican fan, but I'm probably the one person that could eat two Chipotle burritos. Okay. I did it. I did it when I went to the I, States. I could yeah. do I could do it. Matt, I told Matt that I could I've do also it. He it. doesn't believe me. Um, uh, I might, I might do like it every time. Sometimes. I do. Uh, what a, um, I do eat like a bird most of the time, actually. Like I'm going to keep you on, on, on track. So yeah. what song pumps you up for a race? So that one. So I actually don't keep... Any, I tried to, well, I don't know, because my music varies day to day, to week to week, to month to month. Sometimes I'll just be like on a, like a 90s hip-hop kick, or sometimes I'll just listen to whatever new bullshit's on the radio for a while just to see what's going on. But um, I actually try not to listen to too much music before my race run, because then I'll get it stuck in my head. And then oh, yeah. I don't like that. I like to just try to keep my head as clear as possible if I can. Um, the worst thing ever is to have a song stuck in your head and you're trying to get through a race weekend or a race run. It sucks. It's the, it doesn't, it's not fun. Um, but yeah. All right. What else and we then got? I think there's, there's another one. How big, uh, are your tires? Yeah. 27 and a half or you're 29. I'm back on a 20. Or you mixed. No, no, I'm not the butch. I'm not the, uh, the mullet bike. No, (laughs) (laughs) I have heard that before actually. Yeah, Yeah, I'm running a 29er front and rear. I'm on big wheels for the big boy. So, to answer the question for uh, old Onowski there, don't worry, don't worry, buddy. We're both six four. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. Did you have any other ones? Um. I think that's pretty good. We like to keep it like like we're focused yeah. for this podcast. We're focused on things that are performance. Related. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I I'll save some of those for the other podcasts that I'll do soon. Yeah, yeah. It'll be a little bit, a lot more banter, I bet. Yeah. Oh, we appreciate you coming on. Like that's that's been fascinating. I really really um enjoyed hearing the story. Yeah. And it's going to be valuable for people just as a reference to listen back to. Yeah, it's totally. Yeah, there's a. I mean, the story from point A to point B is not a polished uh polished thing there's a lot of things i paraphrased a lot of stuff i could talk about stuff for 
A long time. Uh, there's a lot of stories. Well, when your book comes out. Yeah, memoir. I'm, yeah, it's coming out actually uh, uh, winter of 2020. Like, I'm starting to work <laughs> on that right now. So it's uh, it's going to be uh, labeled, uh, uh, so you want to be a professional mountain bike racer. And it's going to have uh, nuggets and stories and stuff. So that's a joke. I probably should do it. That would be pretty hilarious. It would be pretty cool. <laughs> it would be pretty cool to get some takes on how other people go through. You know, if your story's like the common story or maybe you're the exception or maybe uh, people just don't like your instagram account i don't i don't care i don't even <laughs> fuck what people think <laughs> yeah. no i try not to because it doesn't matter i'm just doing it um for me and uh anyway we're rambling so yeah go I'll, for I'll it, it up. all right, all right go. until until <laughs> next time matt and seamus thanks again all right catch you later all right peace